Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, so if you're wondering, there were supposed to be bulletins out there, but I took them home to fold them and then left them sit on the table. So, <laughs> and you know, my wife did so much work. We redesigned them, made them look really cool. And then, yeah, so sorry. Uh, but I promise they'll be there next time. Uh, hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. And like many of you, I've spent a significant amount of time this week just thinking about what that means. I want to make sure we just take a moment to stop and be thankful. You know, Megan and I both have a rich and deep family history of military service. And while we've been very fortunate to never lose anyone in war, we have been taught to be thankful, to not take it for granted, and to to appreciate. And I think there's something unique as Christians Uh, when it comes to Memorial Day, when it comes to honoring military service, we understand what it means to be sacrificed for, for a price to be paid for our freedom, right? I mean, it's our entire faith system. That's, That's the foundation of it, that Jesus went to the cross for us, paid our price so that we could have freedom. And then we come to a day like Memorial Day, and we should, we should be thankful, what, was done, what we have here in America is very, very unique. And I just want to take a moment, not very long, just a moment to recognize that. For all its faults and its division, there are still some things that are very, very true about this place we live. One, America is one of the few places in the world where individual freedom matters and it's protected. And that's really important. America is one of the few places in the world where you can start from nothing and build a lasting legacy just by working hard. And America is one of the few places in the world where we can do what we're doing right now and not have to worry about a thing. We can gather and worship God and practice our faith freely and not have to worry at all. And like I said, the reality of that is that this freedom isn't free. There was a price paid for us to be able to live this way. And so I want to encourage you, as we spend this weekend celebrating our freedom and spending time with our families, let's not forget the members of the military who did the work so that we could have freedom. And at the same time, let's lean in a little further in our faith and be thankful for the work that was done for us at the cross so that we could have eternal freedom. And when we think about things like Memorial Day, when you sit and think about what was done for us and you're looking at the past, I don't know how your brain works, but for me, I often just think of legacy. What people left behind, how we're being shaped, what is happening because of what has gone before. And we've all had someone in our life who's helped shape the way we do things. Maybe you had a grandparent who showed you what hard work looked like. Or maybe you had a teacher who helped you harness the power of creativity. Or maybe your family had values and practices that you have continued with your children. Legacy Legacy is an important thing. Passing things on matters. There are so many things that we pour our heart and soul into that will just end 
when we die. That's just the reality. But the things that matter are the things that go on. What we leave behind. Now, what I want to look at today is how important a legacy of faith is. A legacy that is built on a foundation of faith will last for generations and can shape communities. And as we'll see in the text that we're going to study today, a legacy of faith can solidify a nation or embolden a movement. And you know, sometimes legacy is a funny thing since moving back here to my hometown, I can't, I can't go anywhere without hearing a story about my dad, right? And usually those stories involve cars, and usually those stories involve cars doing something dangerous. And usually my dad is sitting in the passenger seat of the car encouraging the dangerous activity. My dad is known as someone who loves cars, loves to do dangerous things with cars, but he's also known as someone who is a genius at fixing the car that he encourages to break. So he just has this innate ability, and this is what legacy does, right? And to be clear, that's not the only thing my dad is known for, right? But it is something he's known for. And it is a perfect example of what, of what being passionate about something can do. It affects people. It draws people in. It makes people tell stories and share moments. Being passionate about something causes others to be passionate as well. And whatever we're passionate about will usually be the legacy we leave behind. Someone is going to pick up the torch that we have carried and they're going to continue it. What do we do with that? Don't you think we have a responsibility to care for and curate our legacy and leave something intentional behind? It's very cl clear in Scripture that Joshua and Paul both understood this really, really well. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 23 and 24 and Acts chapter 16 and the end of chapter 28. And what we're going to see in these passages are two people who understand how important it is to be bold, to stand firm, and like I've talked about the last few weeks, take each step faithfully as they fully surrender to the will of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I am thankful. I'm thankful that we get to do this right here. I'm thankful that because of the, the fight and the sacrifices made for us, we can gather here freely without fear. We can declare your glory everywhere we go and not have to worry. God, I'm thankful for that. And God, I'm thankful for the mission you called us to, to, to take the land, to go and make disciples, to share the gospel. And God, I pray right now that we would be a church that builds a legacy of that, that we wouldn't be content with a few events that draw people in, but we want to build a foundation of faith. Draw us to that. Teach us. Show us how to do that. And God, I ask right now that you pour through me the gift of preaching. Speak to your flock. Overcome my weaknesses. Call us out to do the work you've prepared for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry, I have to clear my throat. <clears> throat> That's like the worst thing for you to have to hear. Um, all right, in Acts chapter 16, we get a glimpse of Paul's legacy. And to lay a foundation, it's really important that we understand who Paul is. 
Paul used to be called Saul, and he was a Pharisee. And if you were here last week, I talked about who the Pharisees were, and I talked about how Jesus felt about the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees were the religious elite of the time. They were the wise teachers of the law, and Saul wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a leader among the Pharisees. Saul was the one who, when Stephen was stoned in Acts, was standing there and looking on approvingly and holding everyone's coats so that they could stone him. Saul was a leader among the Pharisees. And then one day, Saul is on the road to Damascus. And what he's doing on the road to Damascus, I think we hear the story often and we forget what he was doing. Saul had papers in his hand that gave him the authority and the right to round up Christians and put them in prison. And he was on his way to go do that. And while he's on the road, he has a vision and he meets Jesus. And his life is forever changed. Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing? And Saul rejects the Pharisees. He becomes a follower of Jesus. Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul, and he declares him as God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's a wild story. And quickly we see who Paul is and the legacy he's going to leave behind. This is in Acts chapter 16, and what's going on here is that Paul and Silas have come to a city, and they've healed a girl of demonic possession. And this girl was telling the future, and there were men surrounding her who were making money off of her ability to tell the future. And when they heal her, she can't do that anymore, and it it causes an uproar in the community. And they get really, really mad at Paul and Cyrus, and they're yelling at him, and then this happens in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer and his whole household were baptized that day. And there's so many things that are powerful in this moment. You know, I've mentioned this one before, but the first thing that we notice is that in the midst of a terrible moment, these men have been beaten, flogged, thrown in prison. They're being watched. They're not allowed to go anywhere, and they're singing. That's incredible. They're praying. They're sharing the gospel with the other prisoners. That's unbelievable. And what that reminds us of that I've said before, and I will say a lot, is that Christians have an inherent joy. Nothing can change that. No matter what spot we're in, we are joy-filled. But the second thing that we need to notice here is that when the doors open and the chains come off, their first priority isn't their own safety. Their first priority is sharing Jesus with the jailer. 
And that's what they do. They share the gospel with the jailer, and because of that, his whole family is baptized. Paul's actions here become the marker of the movement. Throughout history, in the midst of persecution, Christians have done what Paul did. They stand firm, and they share the gospel no matter what. And this is how legacy is built. Most often, it's not about what you teach or what you say. It's about what you do. Legacy is built as you go. As you faithfully do what God is calling you to do, that passion bleeds out and it impacts those around you. So the first thing I want you to recognize about legacy is that legacy begins with how you live. That's where it starts. You work hard with the gifts God has given you. You do the work faithfully and with passion and you let that bleed out into the people around you and your legacy begins. And the second thing you need to know about legacy is that legacy is built from there. So it begins with how you live, but it is built by passing it on intentionally, by sharing it, telling people, this is how I do what I do. In Joshua 23 and 24, we see this done beautifully. Joshua is coming to the end of his life. He's led the Israelites into the promised land. He's led the charge in taking all these cities and building a nation. And his time is coming to an end. He knows he needs to pass it on. And when he speaks, he speaks truthfully. He challenges them. What he says is powerful and honest. And it calls the people out to do something big. And he's also making sure that he reminds them of what matters. In Joshua 23 he reminds them of the victory they've had. And he reminds them of who gave the victory, that God went before them, that he promised the victory and he came through, that all of their success came from God and God alone. Listen to this in Joshua 23, starting in verse 14. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. He's about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. He reminds them that they made a covenant with God. He reminds them that God has come through on his end of the deal, so don't fail on your end. Keep the covenant. Trust God. Do what he says, and you will continue to have victory. And then Joshua draws a line in the sand. I'm going to read a section of scripture that maybe you've heard a bunch, but I want, you, I want to make sure you hear it in context. Because what he says is really powerful in the moment. I want to set the scene. Remember, they have conquered nations. They've gone through this whole area. They've taken over cultures. They've conquered other places. And while doing so, historically, if you know anything about ancient history, what usually happens when, this, when they conquer other nations is that, is that they absorb their people. They absorb their cultures. They absorb their religious practices. And nothing is different here. That's exactly what has happened. As they go, they're absorbing people. There are some places they've conquered completely, like Jericho, 
where they destroyed everything. But then there are some where they just absorbed them. And in doing so, their practices may have changed. And they've taken on some other gods, and Joshua knows it. So he calls it out. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What's so powerful here is what leads up to it. Joshua has just reminded them, like I said, of all the victory they've seen. He reminds them that because of God's power, they crossed the Jordan, they defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai, and on and on. He points out that all the nations they defeated, they served other gods. And then he says, to paraphrase, but if serving our God seems like a burden to you, go ahead and serve those other gods. But I won't. He's passing on his legacy. He's reminding them where victory comes from. He's reminding them of the power and majesty and faithfulness of our God. And then he asks, so what are you going to do with that? And what's beautiful is the people step up. They recognize where they're starting to fall short, where things are starting to go sideways. And they step up. Joshua makes the challenge and they follow through in verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. He draws a line in the sand and they step up. Joshua is intentionally leaving behind a legacy of of complete surrender to God and God alone. No one else gets your surrender, only him. He's reminding them not to let anything get in the way of serving the Lord. Throw it all away, get it out of here, and serve him only. And that's what happens. I love how this, how this book wraps up. It says this, After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua's legacy was generational. It didn't end with him. It kept going. His commitment to faithfully take each step God had led them to take, his boldness to speak up and keep his people committed, and his challenge to stand firm led to generational commitment and generational faith. That's the biggest impact of legacy. A legacy built from surrender has generational impact. There are so many people here in this church who could tell you stories of people in their family who were the first to surrender to Jesus. 
And then because of that, because of the first one, now the family tree is full of people who know, love, and serve Jesus. That only happens when we build our life on faith in Jesus, do the work he has called us to faithfully, and then pass it on intentionally. We also see this in Acts. At the very end of Acts, the very last verse of the book, there's a statement about Paul. And when I think about legacy, this is what I once said about me. And honestly, this is what I once said about us as a church, about all of you. This is what it says, Acts 28, 31. Boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. How simple is that? And that's exactly what it's about. His passion for the gospel and ability to stand firm and not let anything stand in the way was powerful. It's what led to generations of Christians standing firm in the face of persecution. All the Christians in Rome that were crucified along the road because they wouldn't deny Jesus' resurrection. All the missionaries around the world who have been murdered because they wouldn't deny Jesus as king. All the movement of the gospel around the world through incredible hardship was because Paul and the other apostles preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ boldly and without hindrance. I mean, our mission partner in Haiti, Sunlight Academy, they've driven out much of the voodoo that surrounds them, and now much of the community knows Jesus instead of practicing voodoo, and that's because they stand on the shoulders of the people who went before them, and they're leaving a legacy behind. A legacy of faith has generational impact. So what do we do with that? This week, I found myself in the attic of the church. Yeah, that's a wild place if you haven't been there before. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Rising Sun Church of Christ is nine years away from being 200 years old. That's crazy. And I'm going to tell you more about this, the history of this church at another time. I have that plan for the fall. But we need to pause for a moment and just recognize how amazing that is. This place is 200 years old. And this church has an incredible history of faith. What started as a little home church has grown to send pastors and missionaries around the world. This place has had an enormous impact on the community and drawn so many people to know, love, and serve Jesus. The history here is amazing. This is a directory from 1975 that I found. Many of you are in here, and you look different, <laughs> right? But I want to read something to you that was, I don't know who wrote this. It was likely Glenn Schneiders, who was the lead minister at the time. But it could have been one of the elders or deacons. I'm not sure. But I think we need to hear it. This is titled, The Work Must Go On. Since the humble beginnings of the church of Jesus Christ at Rising Sun, many people have come and gone. There have been both good and bad times, yet the church has always gone on. It is up to each of us, the church of the present, to determine whether the work of Christ goes forward or backward. When Jesus ascended to heaven, his work did not stop. Rather, for the disciples, it had only begun. 
The disciples could not sit back and glory in the work of Christ. There was work that they had to do. Neither can we, the church of today, sit back and rest on the laurels of our forefathers. If we will maintain the same ambition and foresight that brought our that our forefathers had in 1832, much can be done. But only if we have enough hindsight to look back 2,000 years ago to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a whole generation of people here who have seen this church through some crazy times. I looked at pictures this week from the dedication of this property in 1985, and many of you were there. And now your families are here. That's awesome. You faithfully served this community for decades. How did you do that? What have you learned? How did you keep your family healthy and your heart right? How did you do this work? How did you till the land? We need to know. And I know I'm speaking pretty plainly here, but I don't really know another way. My generation, what are we doing? I can't encourage you enough. Go get wisdom from these people. Talk to them. They've gone before you. They tilled the land and sowed the seed. They're the ones who have been through the ups and downs. They've seen this place flourish and they've seen it struggle. And through it all, they have faithfully served and called people to the feet of Jesus. Go talk to them. I have. I am. I will continue to do so. Learn from them. Your life will be changed by doing that. It is so good for your heart. It will call you to something big. Go talk to them. Carry their legacy into this next movement of our church so that we can draw even more people to know Jesus. Remember this. We all have a job. All of us. A few weeks ago, I told you about all the ways that I was shaped by marching band, but there was something I didn't really talk about. The thing I learned most by being in marching band is that there are no bench players. Everybody plays. You don't get to sit the bench and watch the, the starting five win all the games. You have to play. Same thing applies here. There are no bench players. We all play. Some of us need to do the physical labor and the hard work because that's our gift. Some of us need to be organizers and planners and be the ones who mobilize people and keep things on task. Some of us need to be proclaimers and speak the truth boldly in the town square. And some of us need to start sharing wisdom with those younger than us so that the legacy continues for generations. If we're gonna take the land, this is what we have to do. We have to build a legacy that has its foundation set on full surrender to Jesus. We cannot be content with a few events that draw a lot of people here. That's not, that's not a legacy. We have to build a foundation on surrender to Jesus, on knowing him. We have to be people who boldly and without hindrance proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about Jesus. I said this verse a few weeks ago, and I'm gonna say it a bunch because I want it to be our DNA. This is who we are. Philippians 1.20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Memorize that verse, put it deep in your heart. That is who we are. Let's leave that legacy and see generations of people in this community know, love, and serve Jesus.
If you wanna do that, if you never made the decision to know Jesus, I'll sit right here because the rest of the row is full right now, which is awesome. I love that. I'll be right here. Come talk to me. I would love to baptize you and this church family would love to celebrate surrender with you. And if you wanna get activated and start leaving a legacy, find one of us. We would love to do that. Let's not just rest on the laurels of our forefathers, as Glenn Schneider said. Let's get to work. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in him. And God, I'm thankful for what this church has been. That it has been a place built on surrender to you and faith in you following where you're leading, taking bold steps, making big movements, knowing that when we step out into nothing, you're gonna catch us. And God, I ask that you would continue to push us in that direction. Give us the boldness to do that exact same thing, to step into the nothing and know you're gonna catch us. I'm thankful for the hope we have in Jesus. God, thankful. thank you for the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.